Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masacha Beitza, daf Kaf Hey, page 25. So about, I don't know, two-thirds of the way down, Ahmed Aleph, we have a new Mishnah, and I'm going to begin there. Behema misukenet lo yishchot. If an animal is in danger, now this means that it's in danger for its life, it's close to the brink of death, lo yishchot, the, the Mishnah here says, do not slaughter it. On Yantif, right? The point here is that we're talking about Yantif, of course, in Masacha Peitza. Um, and this is the fact is, you know, it often would be, I think, that an animal that is nearing its end, um, you know, would be slaughtered, not necessarily ritual slaughter. I think it depends the health of the animal. But, um, you know, maybe it will be help, maybe it will be available for eating and maybe it won't be. But either way, there's like this impulse to go slaughter the animal in that hope. And then the, but the Gemara says, no, you don't do that on Yantif. Only, you can only do that. You can only slaughter the animal in the event that then it would be found to be a kosher animal, meaning the lungs and all like that, whatever you need to, for the animal to be not just shechted kosher, but also determined to be kosher afterwards. That if they, if you have time in the day, to eat a kazayat of roasted meat. That means, you know, you have the time to roast the animal and then be able to eat a kazayat from the meat. Um, if that were the case, then you could indeed shech the animal. It's like lechav of the festival. It's it's in honor of the chag. Rabbi Kiva Omer, afilu kazayat chai mi beit tevichata. Rabbi Kiva says, you don't even have to roast it. If there's time, or if there would be time to eat a kazayat of raw meat from the place that the animal is slaughtered, from the bait to vichata, from the literally from the location of the shafting, meaning its neck, you don't have to go ahead and like skin it and roast it and all like that. Rabbi Kiva's leniency here is not very palatable to me, I must admit. Um, but it does seem to be the case that he's not worried that you have to actually do the cooking to for you to be able to do the shafting. And then the Mishnah continues, Shachata Basadeh. If you slaughtered an animal in on Chag, and it's out, you're out in the field, you're out in the in the wilderness somewhere, I guess. Lo yiviena b'mot uvmota. You don't bring it into your house on a pole or on a you know the double poles that you could carry an animal, you know, like upside down, you know, um, because that looks like it's a weekday activity, right? The whole thing is that looks like the same thing you would do any day, but it's yentif, so don't do that. Rather, you can, you know, bring in this animal limb by limb. Again, not so palatable to me, but the idea here is, A, you're doing something quite differently than you would usually do it, and it won't have that appearance of um, doing something that is whole, that is an everyday mundane activity on the holiday. Okay, now, some of what is most interesting to me here is discussed um, further on the daf, going on Dhamma Bet, where well, part of what we're really talking about here is, I would say, I would call it manners, meaning how is one to conduct oneself? It's almost, you know, beyond the scope of actual halacha. Um, and we'll see that here where the Gemara goes on to talk about manners or how you're supposed to conduct yourself with regard to other issues, meaning you don't have a specific prohibition, right? And that's what's talking about, you know, your concern is going to look like whole, okay, but, you know, to, to how far do you take that? So the Gemara here cites Chazal, basically, cites a Breita, um, that takes it, again, into a different area. Now we're going to talk about 
non um, non animal products. Kiditanya, we learned a breita. Lo yochal adam shum uvatzal mirosho eleme alav. You don't eat. A person should not be eating garlic or onions from the side of the head of the of the vegetable, meaning from the roots, but rather you eat it from the leaves. Ve'imachal. But if you did eat it, hareze ra'avtan. If you did eat it that way, then you you look like you're being a ravtan is somebody we would call somebody a glutton. Um, it's you know, not a it, it's um, I don't know what like scarfing down your food. It's that kind of um appearance. Likewise, you should, a person should not drink the full contents of his glass all at once. He doesn't drain his cup in one gulp. And if you did do so, then you look like what's a glutton for drinking, right? Meaning somebody who is, I suppose you could say somebody who's parched, but it, the implication here is, of course, that we're talking about wine or some other kind of alcohol and they, you know, somebody who's too much in his cups. I don't mean literally that he's drunk. I'm saying that he's he's too fast to imbibe. Tanu Rabbanan. So the bright that continues, or there's another bright that continues. Shoteko sob vatachat because we've got another place that tells us exactly this formulation that somebody who drinks his full cup in one gulp is considered a gargaran, a greedy drinker. Shnayim derech eretz shlosha migasei haruach. So if you have two gulps, if you drink your cup in two swallows, that's the way to do it. That's proper etiquette. And if you, and if you take, drink it in three gulps, three swallows, then you know, then you're presenting yourself as you know a little hoity-toity, like oh, I will only drink so slowly, so daintily, um, instead of just being like a regular normal person who takes two gulps. Of course, this does not really tell us exactly how large the cups are. It does not tell us. I, I don't know. I, you know, it's a, it's part of what intrigues me about this passage is exactly what isn't said, right? That here we're talking about what is considered proper behavior when we're not really talking about a halachic issue, not quite. And, um, and we don't have that much context outside of what we have right here. So I find that to be interesting in and of itself. Now I'm going to jump again. Um, we've got here a discussion of Tormusa. Now, the Tormus, Tormusa is a Tormusin, or the Tormusin or the lupines, um, which are, I don't know, they make a, quite a splash of purple in the spring in Israel. Um, in my neighborhood, we have a whole hill that's covered with Tormusin with the lupines in the Beit Shemesh area. There's a hill that's even known as Givat HaTormusin, the the hill of the lupines. So on the one hand, is this very beautiful and kind of startling purple law is a long flower and they they don't last for very long their season is quite short um so here the gemara says tormusa mikata reglehun dishan shel yisrael so the lupine which is it turns out to be that it's, to eat it would be very bitter so you can only you don't eat it just straight you you have to really like go through a whole process and the claim here is that the Tormus will cut off the feet of the enemies of Israel, right? Meaning, and the claim here is, of course, that you say the enemies of Israel um, is, we'll call it Lashon Sagina, to refer to the Jewish people themselves. Meaning, it's such a problematic thing, plant to eat, to ingest, that it ends up being 
you know, harmful or to the detriment of the Jewish people themselves. And the verse that proves this, right, the B'nai Israel did so poorly in their worship of God, right, that they kept they kept turning to the foreign gods, and this is from Sefer Shoftim, chapter 10. And in the end, right, the idea here is that the Jewish people are going to be cut off in the same way from this lupine. So, again, it's, it's um, I don't know, maybe it's metaphorical, and certainly it's a comment without it being a halachic statement, right? It's a rebuke um, simply from the realia, you know, like, what are you going to do with this plant? Um, like I said, from the previous keta, the previous section begins with garlic and, and onion and how one can appear to be a glutton if you eat them in the wrong way or in the wrong angle or whatever. I find it all to be um, a very interesting comment on what does it mean to have refined behavior, but not too refined, you know, within the context of the era of Chazal. I mean, it's a little bit of an odd tangent that they get onto here <laughs> um, based on this Mishnah. Um, but yeah, they're trying to make a comment about what's proper behavior or not proper behavior. Um, and I think even the way they tie it into, uh, you know, a verse into a pasuk is interesting as well. Um, I'm going to move on then, you know, to the next sort of tangent, uh, because once they're sort of talking about, you know, character traits, now they're going to get into a discussion about the character traits of the Jewish people. Tana Mashmeid of Rabbi Meir. So this was taught in a brace in the name of Rabbi Meir. Why was the Torah given to Israel? Because they are, um, you know, sort of, I guess, like strong willed, right? How would you translate this word, Anne? Azin, like from O's, like they're strong. They're um, strong, but it's got like a. It has a negative connotation. Yeah, to it. And so the idea is, is that by having to abide by the Torah, right? having to follow all the rules, the halakot of the Torah, it somehow sort of breaks the spirit or the strength that the Jewish people have. Um, and, you know, I was kind of, you know, taken by this because the Midrashim we tend to always quote are the ones, you know, about how we chose it, we wanted to keep this mitzvah, all the other nations rejected the Torah. And here is one that I think sort of, hones in on a little bit of a piece of like what's hard about keeping the Torah, right? That essentially the Torah is a set of, you know, halachas and Torah is something that guides and governs every single part of our life. And so the commentary is saying that as a people, we are very strong-willed. So by following the Torah and everything that's in it, somehow that will make us less strong-willed. Tana Devei Rabbi Yishmael. So then we have, uh, you know, someone taught in the house of Rabbi Yishmael. Mimi no h dot lamo. So here they're quoting uh Pasuk from Devarim chapter 33, verse 2, from his right hand when a fiery law from them, meaning the right hand of God. Amar Hakadosh Barakhlo. So Hashem says, He said, This these people, meaning the Jews, are are should be given sort of this dot h, this fiery law, right? Eka da Amri, others say, Datem shall elu h. Right, the ways of the nature of these people, the Jews, are they're like fire, right? Were not for the fact that the Torah is given for the Jewish people, right? 
no nation or tongue could withstand them. So in other words, you know, I, it's not saying something necessarily nice about B'nai Israel. Like in a way, it's almost saying that, you know, we're fiery, we're strong-willed, and therefore there's something very strong about the Torah, and that's why we're able to keep it. Um, but some of them, Farsham explained here that it also, in a way, it, like it subdues that fiery nature, right? Because if by, by nature you're strong-willed, if you have to give yourself over to a different, you know, set of rules or laws that might not be what you naturally want to do, that sort of subdues that character trait. So I, I, I think there's a lot of different ways to unpack this. We don't have time to do it, but I just wanted to um, point it out. I mean, another way I thought to read this, but maybe this is a little bit of a stretch, is that by nature, because you're strong-willed, maybe that allows you in a way to do something that's as, or to follow something that's as comprehensive as the Torah itself. But I think that's a little bit more of a stretch. I really think the first way I presented this uh, is the is the way that it's meant to be understood. And then we have Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish says, There are sort of three strong-willed groups in the world. Yisrael, Ba'umot, Israel among the nations. Kelev, Ba'chayot, a dog among animals. Tarnagol, Ba'ufot, and a rooster among birds. Some say a goat amongst, you know, small cattle. And some also say the caper bush amongst the trees. So, you know, again, I think this is one of these passages about B'nai Israel's relationship to the Torah. Doesn't often get quoted. It's not what you're going to hear in like a Shavuah shir, at least I haven't, <laughs> when we talk about Matan Torah. Uh, but it's a passage that I certainly think I would come back to um, and want to unpack a little bit more. I think it's so true. I think that, you know, being Jewish is hard and the Jewish people uh, are stubborn. And for some reason, those go together, right? Like we're able to uphold the Torah and bear the Torah and, you know, and even break the Torah. But it's all part of the heritage of, you know, let's put it this way. If the Jewish people are not a stubborn people, then we certainly have inherited a heritage that tells us that we are. And so we think we are. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, there's definitely it rings true when you read it. And just to wrap up the episode here, you know, then there's this very big discussion about this chair and carrying a chair, uh, you know, basically, well, it starts with a discussion of not doing things that look like regular workday work. And one of the items is carrying people on this certain type of chair where there seem to be like poles that would rest on your shoulder and we don't use this type of chair um, on Shabbos or Yom Tov. And then the Gemara comes with, you know, all these examples. No, we carried this rabbi and we carried that rabbi. One of the people I just want everybody to mention is our friend, um, uh, you know, Yalta. Uh, she appears on this staff again. Um, and remember, we spoke about her before when she had that very interesting uh, encounter with Ula. Um, and it says here that she was allowed to be carried um, on this, uh, you know, chair because she, um, uh, you know, she uh, she was scared of falling or something, you know, so so she was allowed to have this type of chair. So I just wanted, you know, to show that this, this is where she appears again. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see sort of in general in this whole discussion, who and what they were willing to make an exception for. And so I think part of what you're also seeing on the staff here is, you know, they're quoting a statement saying you can't use this type of chair. But really, the halachic reality was many people were using this type of chair. Yes, they try to come up with an exception, you know, for each of those cases. Why was this chair allowed to be used? 
But I think this is a great example of like, you'll have a statement, but yet the halachic reality will be very different. I think it's fascinating. Like, you know, it's like saying, okay, we've got office attire and Shabbat attire, fine, or Yontif attire. And you could say, well, we've got dining room chairs and then, you know, um, wheelie chairs for an office. Except for I cannot for the life of me figure out like what makes a chair aside from the location where it might be housed, right? Like in a workspace or, or a craftsman's shed or something like that, right? But beside that, what makes the chair itself a not yuntiftic chair? I thought it was that maybe it was like too much effort to carry it. You know what I mean? Like it was a lot of effort to carry. Oh, like it's just too heavy. Yeah, like you get sweaty. It's a lot of work to carry it. It's a burden. Okay, it. okay, I hear that. Fine. Chair, right? So like, then it's not about the, like it could be any, there could be many different styles of chairs that would be a problem for this. Yes, exactly. Okay, but I think it's got like, it. I, to me, I thought it was an issue of exertion. That makes sense to me. And that makes sense to me also from the from the Mishnah to begin with, right? Like, well, how are you carrying the animal? You know, it's the whole way of doing it, but it's also a whole lot more work. Right. One- I think that's that's where it comes from. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.